You can uh, be opening your Bibles to the book of Acts in chapter 20. Um, it's been a while since we've been in Acts. It was before uh, November last year, the last time we were there. And uh, so I, I was looking up exactly where I left in Acts almost two years. Um, so uh, if, if you've been keeping track, you might be a little discouraged, but be of courage. There's eight chapters left, and I plan to do those in no, no more than four weeks. Um, so uh, this is week one. Hopefully in three more we'll be through the book of Acts and, and move on to some other things. I hate not finishing something. I'm, I'm OCD enough to do that. Um, got to, I'm not CDO. Y'all know what that is? That's OCD in alphabetical order. So, um, um, But I do want to finish. And I have another problem, and that is once I'm in it, I want to go over every word. And I, and I can't do that. Obviously, I can't do eight chapters in four sermons and go over every word. But the last eight chapters of the book of Acts is about Paul eventually winding up in Rome, which is, again, another reason why you and I are sitting here today. His, his ministry, uh, uh, as he goes through what he goes through in these eight chapters, um, ties him up with a bunch of Roman prisoner, uh, guards that, while he was a prisoner, whom he led to the Lord, whom were later assigned into England, who brought the gospel all the way to England and uh, again and, and deeper up into Europe like that. And so that's why we're here today, as you know, the history of the United States and a little bit of Western history. Hopefully y'all studied that in high school a little bit. Okay, um, so you know that. So I'm calling, of course, we're in Acts on the Move, but then I put a new subtitle there. God moves Paul to Rome. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had to go somewhere you didn't expect to go, but Paul had a desire to go to Rome. He wrote it in the book of Romans. I'm going to get there. Somehow I'm going to come see you. And after that, I'm going to go on to Spain is what he told the Romans. But he didn't know how he was going to get there. And little did he suspect probably at the moment that the government was going to pay his way. Now, uh, it wasn't a pleasant thing because he went as a prisoner, but he did get to go. And uh, so we, we come to Acts 20. And, and, and I, I was thinking about what we're going to look at today. And and I don't know anybody who just as a kid goes, I want to grow up and be average. Uh, now, now maybe, maybe you're that kid, and, and God bless you if you are. You've got a place in this world. Appreciate you. But, but most of us, we have these big dreams. The younger we are, the less we know about reality, the bigger our dreams. And some people are able to follow those dreams and make what seems impossible possible. But many of us, you know, we go through life and we don't quite get there. Well, I think in Christianity, sometimes it's, it's, it's sort of the same thing. You know, when a baby's born, I remember when my children were born, I had these great imaginations of all the things they're going to do, right? And, and of course, they're individuals. They're doing what God wants them to do, and I'm happy and proud of that. But, but you, you know, we have babies and we start dreaming these big dreams, you know, and then they grow up to be like us, and it's disappointment. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm kidding, y'all. Sorry, you kids. I was just kidding. Um, but when we sometimes we get saved, or we were singing these mighty songs today, you know, and about God's made us a holy priesthood and a people for His His pleasure and His good, and we're going to reign with Him, and all those things are true. But sometimes when we look at each other here, we go, "You? I'm not sure." You know. Now I know I'm going, but I don't know about you. You know, we feel that way sometimes. Just this morning, I was reading about when God was telling Moses how to make the garments for the high priest to wear when he came into God's presence. And the weirdest thing struck me. I never thought about it before. God said, you get two stones, and on one stone you write 
six of the children of Israel, and on the other stone you write the other six, the, the, the twelve sons of Israel, and you put them on the priest's shoulders. And I got to think of why. Well, because when God looks down, he sees those names. Now, you read about those 12 guys. There was one good one in the whole bunch. Well, maybe two. And the rest of them, man, they just, they tried to kill their brother. They sold him into slavery. They were doing all other kinds of immoral, illegal things. And they were cowards. They were horrible. And yet God says, this is the foundation of Israel. I got a little bit of encouragement from that. Because <laughs> I know who I am. Yet God redeemed me. See, it's not about me. It's about him, right? And Paul probably, when you read his books, we talk about him like he was some perfect guy. He had his own problems. And, and so in this chapter, what we see is Paul, it describes how Paul lived out his Christian life and how he did it. And we can get some lessons from that, how you and I ought to be living our life. And, and so... This is a statement I want you to catch as we go through this. I'm not going to read a passage this morning. I want you to hang in there. We'll kind of look at it together um, it, because it's a chapter and a half we're looking at here. And, and here's what I want you to take, though. How you live out the faith impacts everyone around you. Now, notice I capitalized the words, the faith. I don't know if you realize it or not, but... Back in the days of the New Testament, the word Christian, when associated with believers, was brand new and not usual. They were called followers of the way. And in the Bible, it talks about the faith, and it means the, the group of beliefs that we have is the faith. And where do we get that group of beliefs? Well, from Jesus' own mouth, from the Scripture, and from the Scripture that he inspired the apostles and others to write, uh, that we call now the New Testament. But how we live that out affects everybody around us. I, I hope you understand that. And, and notice that it says how you live it out. It doesn't say if you live it out well, it impacts everybody. How you live it out impacts everybody. So if you do it well, you might have some positive results. If you don't do it so well, maybe you might have some negative results, right? You following me? So, again, in this chapter, we see how Paul did it, and Luke is letting us know that. Uh, I skip over the very first six verses of the chapter. because It's not not important. It's just today it's not important for the sermon. But I want you to understand that Luke was very specific about where they went, when they went, how they went. And if you want, you know, there are a lot of people that go, oh, the Bible's not true, or it's got errors in it and all this. In places, God got very specific, just so nobody could say that. And that's what Luke is doing here. He is giving us some details. He's a physician, so details are important. You don't want to miss something important. And so Luke is writing down detailed travel logs about what happened. So you can read those, study those. They're fine. I'm sure there's some good things in there. God wouldn't have put it in the Bible. I'm not saying it's, it's unnecessary. But we get down to verse 7, and they, uh, uh, Paul has, has gotten to a place where it's time to have church. On the first day of the week, verse 7, And when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Now, Paul is preaching for a while. I was in another church, and I know I'm long-winded. If you're a guest today, I am long-winded. I hope you can last as long as I do. Um, 
But, but in another church, somebody was really complaining that I never let them out at noon because I guess they felt like the Holy Spirit quit working at 12, but I don't know. But God knocked off, so we got to, you know, 12 o'clock. But uh, so I just looked at them and said, I have never kept you past 12. They said, are you kidding me? I thought I was crazy. You know, you're a liar. Are you kidding me? You keep us after 12 every week. I said, I have never preached a midnight in my life. So... So you may be here at 1210, but hopefully we'll be done by then. All right. But, but, but so Paul is talking and it's getting later and later and later and later. And what he's doing, he's answering questions. I mean, the people are bringing him questions. He's, he's ministering to, uh, to these uh, folks. And, and as Paul is talking, it's getting late. And notice what the Bible sets up for us. It's midnight. Verse 8. There are many lamps in the upper room where they're gathered. They're all in one room. It's crowded. These are not huge houses or anything. They've got a lot of oil lamps going. So now you've got soot and smoke. And so if Eutychus, there's a guy named Eutychus, a young man. And if he's probably like me. It's hard to stay awake. And he's sitting in the window probably so he can get some fresh air with all that heat and people and oil smoke and everything else. And he's overcome by sleep, and he falls out of the window, and he's taken up dead. Now, let me point out again, Luke's a physician. He knows dead. The boy's dead. By the way, it's estimated, I don't know, and I don't know how they get this, that he's between 7 and 14 years old. I guess the word used, whatever. Let's us know about the age range of this guy named Eutychus. Now, personally, if I was here to midnight and somebody's preaching, I might fall asleep too. Um, if you can sleep while I'm preaching, you deserve the rest, but that's okay. So, but, so Eutychus falls, and, and verse 10, Paul goes down and he bends over and takes him up in his arms and said, don't be alarmed. His life is in him. And he, Paul gives him back to the people. I believe, and I believe the evidence is there. You heard how I said it. Paul, God used Paul to bring this guy back to life. Or God did it while Paul was holding him, one or the other. But Paul doesn't want to make a big deal out of it. He just goes, no, 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 he's okay. But Luke lets you know, no, the dude was dead, okay? I, I talked to Paul later, and he, Paul's going, yeah, my heart was going 100 miles an hour. I was like, oh, no, this guy's dead. What am I going to do? Oh, Lord, help me. And suddenly he breathed, and I was like, oh, thank you, Lord. Hey, he's good. Yeah, take him back, okay. But here's what I want you to notice. Paul goes back in, and he keeps talking till daybreak, till the next morning. So in, in verse 11, when Paul had gone up and broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. They were pretty excited that the guy didn't die. Here, here's what I want you to catch. Paul is walking out his faith. You say, why do you say that? Because of verse 13. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Asos, intending to take Paul aboard there. For so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and went to Metalene. Here's the deal. That was a 20-mile trip. Now, here's what I want you to catch. Paul believes the gospel. Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe you ought to help other people with their walk in the gospel? Paul stays till midnight answering questions. And they had a little interruption. Woke everybody up. You know, kid died. Thank God. God brought him back to life. He's okay. And then Paul goes back and he keeps going till in the morning. 
He hasn't slept. He's spoken all night. I tell y'all, I go home after 30 minutes and I just about die. Paul does this all night. And the next morning he walks 20 miles answering questions as he walks. Now, I know that's kind of supernatural. But how many of us would give that much just to be able to share God's truth with somebody who needs help? Somebody needs to know more. Somebody wants to learn more. Maybe they're lost and they don't understand. They need to know more about what God says. Or maybe they're saved, but they're confused or they don't understand. And God's giving you that wisdom. How many of you would sacrifice time and effort to that degree even to share? Most of us go, well, I heard a good sermon by it. Look this guy up online. You'll be fine. Or will you sit down and listen to their need and listen to what they're asking to help them. Paul walked it out. He taught, he preached, but he literally walked it out for 20 miles. I mean, 20 miles is a day's journey by walking. I mean, uh, uh, if you're really fit and you walk every day and you want to walk across America, you cover 20 miles in a day. You've done very, very well. That is a, that's a kind of a standard, like it's tough to do for us modern folks. I couldn't walk all day like that probably. And I probably wouldn't go 20 miles, but if you're fit and doing it and that's your goal, that's still tough. And Paul does it while he's teaching and preaching the whole way. That just blows me away that he would do that. But he's willing to believe to him. It is life to him. And he's willing to give that life to others. But not only is Paul willing to help those in need that want to learn, that need to know more. To talk that faith out. He wants to train other leaders. Because we go on in to verse 17 here. And we see that Paul is, is uh, on his way. Uh, he, he's going to wind up outside of Ephesus. Now, in the scripture there, Paul doesn't want to stop in Ephesus. He sa It says here in verse 16, Paul decided to sail past Ephesus so he might not have to spend time in Asia because he's hastening to Jerusalem if it's possible to get there by the day of Pentecost. He knew when the day of Pentecost was coming. He wanted to get there. He's missed the Passover, but he wants to get there for Pentecost. Now, why Ephesus? Because that was the biggest thing Paul ever did. Three years he stayed in Ephesus, two years. And everybody in Asia heard the gospel because of what he was doing in Ephesus. The book of Ephesus that he wrote to the Ephesians, uh, that book is the outline of what church ought to look like and what the nature of the church is and who we are. And that's why the very first series of sermons we did was in the book of Ephesians. Because that shows us everything the church is and what it ought to be doing. So this was the biggest success Paul had, and preachers came out of that, and a bunch of churches came out of that. And the, and, and, and the, 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 the churches in, in Revelation that are addressed came out of this whole area. And Paul said, if I stop there, I ain't getting out of there. Because everybody there loved Paul. I mean, he was the guy that did all of that, the, the, the lead fellow that had trained all of those people and, and saw this amazing stuff. And he thought, man, if I stop in Ephesus, there's going to be so many people I'm going to have to see and talk to. So he goes around Ephesus, comes on land, and he sends the word up, hey, tell the pastors at the church in Ephesus, come on down here so I can talk to them. So he gets a smaller group and he gets the leaders there to talk to the leaders of the church in Ephesus. And Paul does it in two, he does two different things when they get there. First of all, Paul says, this is what I've done. Paul lets everybody know 
what he had done in the ministry. And not everybody, he's talking to leaders. So forgive Paul if it sounds braggadocious. It's not. He's teaching leaders what he as a leader has done. You follow me? You got to put the Bible in context when you're reading it. Y'all know that, right? Because a text without its context is a pretext. There's people pull a little phrase out of the Bible and try to make you live by it. And they took it out of context. It doesn't mean what they say it means. You follow me? So when you read this, it sounds like, man, Paul's kind of bragging. No, he's sitting down with his guys. He's with, the, he's with the, the fellows that are carrying on ministry. And he wants to say, now look, this is the price I paid. And there's several things we see there. And look at verse 18, as a for instance. In verse 18, he says, uh, they came to them. He said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. He goes, you know what I was like. You know who I am. You know what was coming against me. You know what I did and what I taught. Paul talks about his service toward God. He says, I was doing this for God. I was doing this for the Lord. You know the opposition. You know everything, but I was humble about it. I, I, I get it. I'm not important. God's important. You got to follow God, not, not what I do. But it caused me tears. It caused me pain. And in verse 20, he goes on to say that he taught the church. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable in teaching you in public and from house to house. Why is that so important? Well, there's three things there. First of all, anything that was important, he told them. Do you know sometimes there's something important you need to tell somebody, but you don't want to tell them? Because it's either going to make them mad or hurt them, and you don't want to do it. Paul said, but I didn't shrink back from it. I, I, I let you know the realities. But notice what he did. I did it publicly when everybody's together. And then I went from church to church, church to church. House to house doesn't mean every home in the neighborhood. It means he went to every house church that they had. And they had hundreds of them because they didn't have a big building, right? They had a pastor and then had a bunch of pastors. So you had a pastor at Ephesus who took care of all the pastors in Ephesus, teaching them. So Paul said, not only did I teach that guy, I taught all of you. I came around to all of your houses. Y'all remember that? And I didn't shrink back when you were messing up to tell you what was wrong or to help you understand something better or to give you encouragement or whatever it took. And I was teaching the church by helping you. And in verse 21, and not only that, he was an example of talking to the lost about Christ, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith and our Lord Jesus Christ. So I served God. I taught to you in the church. I did evangelism in the lost. And then I sacrificed for myself. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what's going to happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I don't count my life as of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace and of God. Paul says, I'm headed to Jerusalem and I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know this. When I get there, I'm going to get arrested. He already knows that. And instead of going the other way, he keeps going toward Jerusalem. See, he didn't count himself as important. He didn't think he ought to survive all this. He didn't think that he counted in the sense that he had to preserve himself because his life is in God's hands. Now, again, you may not be a pastor. You know, might be a leader. You say, well, that doesn't really apply to me. And Paul goes on and then he tells them what they ought to be doing. 
But here's the deal. You are a leader of somebody. Right? When our oldest grandchild was still a baby, her mom and dad told us, she's going to lead something. You could just tell already. I mean, she was born standing up and talking back, you know. A pound and a half, 15 inches long. And she was a fighter from the very beginning. It was amazing. Paul was that guy. And you lead somebody. It's a family. Some co-worker, some friend is looking at you, wondering. I, I, there are people in my life that I admire and, and, and seek their advice and follow their example. Do, do you have those people? Yet yesterday, Friday night, we found a leak under our sink in our kitchen. And so I thought it was a very simple thing. And to shorten the whole story, three trips to Lowe's, two broken tools, some power assist from my son-in-law, Dexter, and eight hours later, the kitchen sink is now fixed. <laughs> my brother-in-law is a, a pipe fitter. So I took a picture of under the sink and sent it to him and said, Hey, because usually I go, hey, Frank, can you help me with this? And I did it with very little help. And I took a picture and sent it to him. I said, I guess 60 is not too old to learn something, huh? And you know what he wrote back? He said, not quitting is the key to success. And you learn something. I was like, wow, that was good. But I needed his approval. I wanted him to say, good job. Way to go, man. Because usually it's like, because my hands are on backwards. I, you know, it's hard to hold a tool when your hands don't work together, right? And I'm telling you, it was, it was some of y'all have done it in 15 minutes. It took me eight hours, three trips to load. I'm telling you, I, I started over at like six o'clock that last night and finally got it. But I didn't quit. And Paul's, Paul is trying to teach these people, listen, this is what I did to you. Now you need to do that for others. And if you're leading a family, if you've got children at work, there's somebody watching you that is, is wanting to follow in your footsteps. How are you going to walk that out? Paul said, this is how I walked it out. I served God. I taught the, the church. I witnessed to the, to the lost. And I didn't count my life as something to be held dear of it. And then beginning in verse 25 says, so this is what you ought to do. First of all, you better be right with God. Look at verse uh, 25. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day, I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay attention to yourselves. Make sure you're right with God. That's the very first thing he tells them. You better pay attention to where you are. It's so easy to drift. We, it's not that we go, hey, I'm going to go sin. We just drift into it. We just lose our moorings. Cars now come equipped, modern cars, with a warning device, and it will pull the wheel out of your hand to get you back in the middle of the lane. Because the worst thing in driving is drift. Your mind starts thinking about something else. You're looking at, you know, pretty cow over there on the hill. And next thing you know, you're in a ditch, right? No comments, y'all. I went in a ditch about a week ago. He says, you better pay careful attention to yourself. Don't give up looking at yourself. Get right with God yourself. And then he turns around and says, and then pay attention to the flock of God. Because that's who God puts you in charge of. Make sure they're good. Make sure they're right. Make sure they're helped. Because it's not about the shepherd, it's about the sheep. You say, well, wait a minute. Hold on there. 
I mean, Jesus has got a name above all names. We're singing about him. We're worshiping him. We're glorifying him. How did he get that title? By becoming like us. And he won the right, even though he didn't have to win it. He already had it. But he did it to be the great shepherd of the sheep. And it wasn't about the shepherd. He went to the cross. He loved the church so much he gave his life for it. And Paul says, you need to do that, guys. You need to be willing to watch out for the flock and to shepherd them. And then he says, and to guard them because there's some bad folks coming in. Look uh, uh, down about verse 29. Uh, Pay careful attention to yourselves and the flock. In verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Be alert. Man, I've seen that. I've seen folks, I just, you go, whoa, where'd that come from? And they pervert the gospel. They pervert the ways of God. They come in from the outside, but they also rise up from the inside sometimes. And so in verse 32, Paul says, you need to be in prayer and the word. I commend to you, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He says, you better pay attention to God's word and you better be in prayer and study so you know. And then he says, be free from self-interest, just as he was. Verse 32 and following, he says, 33, I covet no one's silver, gold, or apparel. You know, these hands ministered to my own necessities. Paul got a job. He didn't ask them to pay him. And he said, to do all these things. And I've shown to you that by working hard in this way, we help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord, it's better to give than receive. So I don't take, I give. And Paul is encouraging these leaders to follow his example. And he says, pay attention to yourself. Pay attention to who you have to pay attention to. Watch out, guard them. because, And the only way to do that is stay in the word and prayer. That's the only way that's going to happen. And don't count your life dear to yourself. Because guess what? You can eat right. I try to eat right. I try to exercise regularly. I try to live healthy, get enough sleep, all that stuff. And then there's going to come this day where I'm going to die. It's going to happen. I can live forever. So how do you live between now and then? How are you going to live between now and then? That's what Paul's saying. Look, don't count your life, dear. You're going to die anyway. Give up your life to give it for God and give it for the people that you need to encourage so that God's word can continue. See, the church is saying, when I'm talking about all this, you know, we want the church to be great, but the church is made up of individuals and, and this is written to the church, but each individual has to do it, Right? And God didn't put the, he put this in the word, especially for pastors to see that. But that's for everybody because we're all priests unto God. All of us are leading someone somewhere sometime in the ways of God. And how you live your life is important. So Paul not only walked it out, Paul not only taught it out, but Paul obeyed it. We get all the way to chapter 21. And Paul gets on down and he actually gets to Jerusalem and picking it up. Uh, all the way down uh, about, I think it's verse uh, 7. Uh, and by the way, the first part of 21, Paul is weeping and praying with these elders on the beach. And then he gets on a ship. And so they sail from Tyre and they arrive in uh, uh, Ptolemus. And they greet the brothers and stayed with them. On one day, the next day, we came to Caesarea. We entered the house of Philip the Evangelist. 
who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Y'all remember the apostles in Acts 6? They said, we can't keep waiting on tables. So they got seven men to, to, to take care of tables. Philip was one of them. And it wasn't long after that, Philip's out there preaching the word. And, and he led the Ethiopian eunuch to the Lord. And, and he just keeps on going, preaching and teaching. So Paul stops off at his house and stays with him. And Philip had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And it just drops that in there. It doesn't say what they said or if they said anything. But look at verse 10. But while we were staying there for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Well, guess what? He was right. That's exactly what happened. Agabus is right. He got the facts right. But I want you to notice the reaction to what Agabus said. In verse 11, uh, verse 12, And when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. I want you to notice that Luke puts himself in the group that told Paul, don't go. Luke himself and all the guys with Paul went, Paul, really, is this what's going to happen? Don't go. They're going to kill you. We need you. Don't leave us. And they're crying and weeping and begging him. When I, one time when I first noticed this, I wrote in the margin of my Bible, right facts, wrong conclusion. They had the right facts. Paul's going to be arrested. He's going to go to trial. They don't know what's going to happen, but they've seen enough death amongst Christians to know that they've caught the, one of the number one leaders of the Christian movement. Why wouldn't they put him to death? And Paul said, y'all got the facts right, but you got the wrong conclusion. Look at verse 13. What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the cause of the Lord Jesus. See, Paul obeyed his faith even if it meant his life. Now, I've said that already several times, several ways, but this... It, Paul makes it clear. I will be obedient unto death just like Jesus was. Jesus said, I didn't come to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And it was the will of the Father, the Bible says in Isaiah, to bruise him for our sins and our transgressions. In Acts 2, after we see in the sermon that Peter preached, he says, this is to fulfill what the prophet said, and that the Son of Man must be put to death and must die at the hands of the Gentiles. But listen, and Peter's telling him, but you're the ones that delivered him over, and you're going to... You better repent. And 3,000 people repented and were saved. And Paul says, I'll do like Jesus. If it means I got to die, I die. It's fine. In other places, Paul had written, you know, to die and go to heaven, that'd be a lot better for me. But y'all need me. So I really want to go, but I guess you need me. So I'm going to stay. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of crazy, isn't it? Sounds crazy to me. Paul didn't want to stay here, but he stayed. People needed him. But he said, anytime God's really ready, I'm good to go. He, he said, it's, it's like being between a rock and a hard place. Because to depart is good for me, but to stay is good for you. But I'm going to stay because you need me. And Paul looks at these people and says, why are you weeping? Why are you doing this to me? Don't make the obedience to the will of God any harder for me than it already is. So many times we pray to keep people out of heaven more than we pray to keep people out of hell. Right? We pray for people that are on death's door. Man, if they're a Christian, they probably want to go. 
And I'm not saying don't do that. I mean, I've done it. I'll do it again. I'll pray for people to get well and all that. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but where is our perspective? You know, when, when, when somebody says, I will go to a mission field where my life will be in danger, and we go, why would you do that? What do you mean? Why wouldn't you do that? You're going to die too. I read that quote from Nate Saint a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, and he said, you too are going to die. And when you stand before God and give an account for the life you live from this day to the day you die, what are you going to say? Basically, that's not a quote, but that's a paraphrase. He said, we're not going to waste our life doing worldly. We're going to go. And he did, and they died. Paul said, I'm willing to die, and don't make this harder for me. We have the wrong attitude toward the will of God. We think that the will of God ought to be easy. It ought to be comfortable. And the Bible promises those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That is written in the Scripture. And if you're going to live it out, you're going to have a tough time. Paul says, but you ought to live it out because it's worth it. Because everything in this life, Paul wrote in Corinthians, is a momentary light affliction. I, I, I turned 60 last year, and a friend of mine had written, and I say it all the time now, it's not original with me, but I thought it was going to take longer to get this old. Everybody you hear laughing is old. <laughs> Young people, listen, when I was your age, I didn't get it either, and I don't expect you to get it now, but one day you're going to, if God spares you, you're going to turn older, and you're going to go, how did I get here? Yesterday I was in high school. Yesterday I was hanging out with Trey and we were riding around in the Chevelle doing stuff we shouldn't do. <laughs> Going to the beach, having fun. Now I got five grandkids and it's tough getting out of bed every morning. So what have I done in those years? I uh, shudder to think. What, how much time I got left? I don't know. Was a little boy, my daddy taught me, every day you live is a day closer to the day you go to see Jesus. So what did you do for him today? It's the wrong attitude to try to get out of suffering. It's the right attitude to go, I will obey God no matter what it costs. Because even if I have to sacrifice my life, that will preach more about the gospel than if I keep myself safe. This is dramatic to me. This is, wow. Paul is saying some really bold things. And, but look what his influence did in verse 14. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Since he wouldn't take the easy road, we shut up about it and said, you're right, let's do the will of God. I don't know where you are, but Paul walked out his faith, he taught out his faith, and he obeyed his faith. But his faith is not different from our faith. It is the faith. There's only one faith. Paul wrote that in the book of Ephesians. He taught it to the church at Ephesus. There's one Lord, one Savior, one faith. There's only one. We got a lot of denominations. There's only one faith. There's only one baptism. There's only one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What are you doing for the gospel and for the gospel's sake. What price is too high for you to pay to obey the will of God, to teach the will of God, to train others in the will of God? You can't train unless you know it yourself, right? You can't teach it unless you've learned it. 
You can't walk it out unless it's a part of who you are. So what can you do with all this? You say, well, that was Paul preaching to a bunch of churches and leaders. Yeah, but that's us, right? So what can we do with it? Well, first of all, help someone this week who has troubling questions about the faith. Maybe somebody you know that they're just, they're a little rattled. They, they, they're not sure. Maybe, maybe they're antagonistic to the gospel. But help somebody this week to answer some of the questions about their faith in God. And then secondly, be an encourager by, by example and teaching. Some people say, well, I don't have to say anything. They just know by the way I live my life. Really? Really? I, I was just sharing the story with a new members class today. It was several months ago, and I was riding down the road, and it was raining. It was a Saturday, and there was a young lady walking down the road in the rain. And I don't usually... I, I never take a lady by herself anywhere, um, but I felt impressed to stop. And I stopped, and I waited till she caught up, and I rolled down the window. I said, are you okay? And she said, I'm trying to get to Verona. I was on, um, like, is it Commerce Road, whatever, anyway, the one, on 11 between uh, Statler Boulevard. I just got on Statler Boulevard off Commerce, and, or off Statler and Commerce. And she said, and I need a ride. Can you take me? And I said, jump in the back seat. That'll be safer for you. She got in the back seat. And I had a magnet mount for my phone then. And I put it up there. And I said, I'm going to call my wife to make it safe for me. And so I called her and said, hey, honey, I've picked up a young lady. She needs a ride to Verona. And Janice, who's been married to me for 32 years, knew what that meant. She went, okay, let me know when you're done. I said, all right, I will. Because I just wanted her to be aware. I, she just got in the car. And as soon as I got to the place, I let her out. Called her back and said, okay, she's out. She said, what happened? <laughs> so I told her what happened. Listen, you can be an encourager by example. And if you're going to be an example, be a good one. Take care, but be a good example. And then thirdly, don't let the details of the experience determine the destination of your obedience. God may ask you to do something very hard and you look at the difficulty instead of the task. I love those encouraging, motivational phrases like the only easy day was yesterday. You don't have to like it, just got to do it. You know, cowboy up. That's how I have to talk to myself. Why? Because when it's difficult, sometimes we don't want to do it. We think we're at the end of our rope. We think we're at the end of our journey. We think we can't go any further. And, we, and God then opens it up and goes, Oh, you, you climbed that mountain? Look at the one up there. I'm going to get you to climb next. You go, Are you kidding me? I thought I was at the top. No, you're just getting started, buddy. And you just want to go, Okay, that's it. I'm out. I'm done. Don't let the difficulty of the destination determine your obedience. Just obey, because let me tell you, God doesn't call you from mountaintop to mountaintop. He calls you from one step to the next, to the next, and to the next. Yesterday, Brother Chris down there had a bunch of Air Patrol kids out here, and he was showing them how to use a compass to get to a destination. And I was just talking to him about it, and he was explaining the procedure and how you get there, and then you make sure you're lined up, because if you don't keep checking... If you get one degree off and you go very far, pretty soon you're way off. And so it's always that constant bringing it back in line. 
And so the destination is out there and it's far away and it's difficult. And we got to take this step and make sure it's the right step because that step's going to lead to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And you need to make sure it's lined up in the will of God. Amen.